Paul is desperately wanting the church of Corinth to be healthy. How important is it to have a, a healthy church? Is there ever going to be a perfect church? There's never going to be a perfect church because we're sinners. We're sinners that have an, an awesome Savior, but there can be a healthy church. Paul wrote to Timothy describing the church and says, you're the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So in society, what is the pillar and the ground of truth? It's the church. And God wants our church and churches to be healthy. What if one of the things that took place in these difficult times that we're living in, if the church woke up, the body of Christ throughout the United States, throughout the world, and pressed into all that God had for it. The church of Corinth is really at a place where they're unhealthy, and that's why Paul is writing these letters. And as a loving father, he's desperately wanting to see them be close to the Lord and walk with the Lord and love each other so they can glorify God and be that effective witness. So let's jump into verse 11 of chapter 12. I've become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Paul is trying to regain the credibility of the church of Corinth for them to trust him so that he can instruct them and also protect them. Much like a parent who feels that's lost the trust of one of their kids saying, please listen to me. I have your best interest in mind. And that's where Paul is going with the church of Corinth. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul says, you've seen the testimony of my perseverance that I've continued in hard times. Also, you've seen God use me in supernatural ways where the Holy Spirit worked about signs and wonders. In verse 13, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. One of the complaints that the church of Corinth had was that they were inferior to the other churches, that Paul loved the other churches more because he was spending more time with the other churches. And, and Paul says, well, why do you feel that way? Was it because I wasn't a burden to you? Was it because these other churches gave financially so that I could come and be a blessing to you? In verse 14, now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul says, I'm not coming to get anything from you. I'm not after your money. I'm not after reputation. I'm simply after you. I'm after your hearts for you to know the Lord gives us this analogy of a spiritual parent and parents laying up for their children. It's not the other way around. The children don't lay up for their, their parents. I think about with our four kids, uh, I want them to be able to stand on Amber and I's shoulders, that their starting point uh, would be at a, a greater place by God's, by God's grace. Each generation learning from the generation before them, that they could learn from some of Amber and I's weaknesses. We want to lay up for our kids spiritually, financially, in every way uh, possible, and that's Paul's heart for the Corinthian church. Verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I 
am loved. What's one of the marks of a healthy church is to respond to love. The church of Corinth is unhealthy because they can't respond to love. Here's Paul who loves them, cares for them, taught them, point them to Jesus, but they're looking at Paul with these skeptical glasses like, I don't know about the apostle Paul, but they're listening to false teachers who take advantage of them, abuse them, and you're like, what's wrong with this church? Why can't they receive from the appropriate places? Maybe you've observed that in your life at different times or observed that in the lives of those that you love. Like, here's people that are really harmful for you, but you think they're the best thing since sliced bread. But then here's some people that have really shown you that they love you, but you won't listen to them. Describes my teenage years, right? So hopefully you grow out of that and you grow past that and you start to be able to discern and decipher, okay, here's someone who really does love me and I can see it in their actions. I see it in the fruit of of their, their life. So part of us being a healthy church is that we can respond to love. We can respond to God's love and we can respond to those godly influences in our lives. One of the things that breaks my heart is, is I've seen over the years of pastoring is sometimes people go from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church, and that's not necessarily bad. It's all one big family. God doesn't see Rocky Mountain Calvary and Vanguard and Discovery Church. He, he sees the whole body of Christ. The problem isn't being led by the Lord to another church, but what grieves my heart is when it's, you know, I was at this church for two years and everybody let me down there. You know, that's pretty much the worst church that, that's ever been and I, I just had to go to another church and then I got to another church and I found that they were the worst too. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I've got really bad luck and, and then I went to a third church and a fourth church and now I'm so blessed to be at Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's like, no, you're going to feel the same way about us in 18 months, right? Because there's this pattern of not being able to respond to love. Yes, people in the church are going to let you down. Yes, people in the church are going to hurt you. Church leadership's not going to be what it should be all of the time. But part of maturity is being able to see there are people that do love the Lord, and there are people that care for me, And I can receive from them and actually also pour into their life as well. Well, let's flip this a little bit. Paul here says, the more I love, the less I'm loved. It would have been easy for Paul at this point to say, I'm going to stop loving. You know, the church of Corinth is really just not worth it. These bunch of punks. The more I love them, the less that I'm loved in return. But what does he say here? I'm gladly spent for your souls. Even though he knows he's not going to be loved in return, he's willing to pour out. Have you gotten to a place where you've decided to stop loving someone because they don't love you in return? Maybe it is the body of Christ and you say, I'm done loving other believers because they really don't love me as much as I love them. Or in my marriage, I feel like I'm the one who's always giving. I am pouring out, and my spouse is not returning that, so I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to stay in the marriage, but I'm going to play it safe, and I'm going to kind of distance myself. Maybe you have one kid, 
that the more you pour into them, the less they love you in return. Now they're an adult. And in your mind, you're like, you know what? I'm just done. I'll be there for them. The door's always open. But I'm going to stop pouring out love to them because they always throw it in my face. Or I have a friend. I'm the one who always calls. I'm the one who always texts. I'm going to wait to see if they'll ever reach out to me. So how does Paul get to this place? Because this is difficult. Where he can love, even though he knows he's not going to be loved in return, I believe it's because Paul is deep into God's love. He's taken time to meditate on, man, God loves me even when I don't love him in return. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't stop loving us even if we don't return his love to him? Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. And as we abide in him and abide in his love and allow him to fill us with the Holy Spirit, he can give us that unconditional love for others. It's great to be honest with the Lord when we don't have that. Lord, I just don't have this in and of myself to to love this person that way. But Lord, would you help me? Because that's a great identifier of a healthy church is agape love. What if the world could look on and see the way that we treat each other and the way that we love unbelievers and go, I've never seen anything like this before. There's no reason that they would love like that. Why, Why do they love like that? Oh, it's Jesus. It's the reality of of Jesus in their life. Verse 16, But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Paul says, I wasn't a burden, but I did use craftiness to try to reach your hearts. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Was it any of my team? Did my team be a burden to you? Did my team take advantage of you? Titus came in the same spirit as the Apostle Paul, walked in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. It's a great example of walking in the footsteps of our our mentors. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Paul says, I'm accountable to God. First and foremost, he's the one that I'm serving, but he does see the importance of building up the church. He says, church, you're loved, and everything I'm attempting to do is for your edification. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you as I wish. And that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. (laughs) Paul says, I'm concerned when I get there. I'm going to find a mess. And then I'm going to be a mess. Lest there be contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Another mark of a healthy church is repentance of sin. Not that we're not going to sin. That's not the mark of a healthy church. Reality is, is we are going to sin. But Paul here is mourning and he's grieving over those that would not sin, that continue in the practice of sin. 
So what is repentance? What, what does that mean? It simply means a 180. You've I'm sure, practiced repentance on Academy Boulevard. Probably in more ways than one. But you've done a 180. You're going north. You're supposed to be going south. So, so you flip a U.E. And for us, spiritually, it's like I'm headed in this direction. It's a sinful direction. I'm going to confess my sin to God, which is agree to God. God, this anger is wrong. Receive his forgiveness, then forsake that sin, to turn from that sin. It also involves our actions where we're turning away from sin. And Paul's concerned after all of this that the church of Corinth is not going to repent, that there's going to continue to be backbitings and there's going to continue to be gossip and sexual sin. And he's pleading with their hearts that they would repent. And he's, he's mourning over the fact of, of their sin. Chuck Smith, he started the First Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, many years ago. And he shares a story where he was asked to come and minister to a husband in his church that had been caught in adultery, exposed in adultery. So he comes to the house and is sitting in the family room with the husband. And he was overcome with grief. He was overcome with sorrow. And he just began to, to cry. The weight of this man's sin and the damage that it was doing to his family to the point where he really couldn't say anything. Could you imagine your pastor comes over to have this intense conversation with you and he just cries? And Pastor Chuck's uh, humbled and he was humiliated that he was just crying and he went ahead and left. And that man ended up repenting. I think it would be quite effective. And it wasn't that Pastor Chuck tried to do that. That was the genuine work of the Spirit in his life and in that moment. But it caused me to think, you know, do I mourn over sin in my life? Is there that godly sorrow where I allowed the Holy Spirit to search me and, and know me? And do we mourn over sin in the church, in one another's life? Because what's at stake? Well, the first thing that's at stake is that personal, close, intimate relationship with Christ. You know, how close as believers can we be with Christ when we're in sexual sin? How close can we be to Christ if we're constantly backbiting? This outburst of, of wrath. How effective is the Church of Corinth going to be in the community if this is the way that they're acting and they're treating each other. I mean, could you imagine visiting the Church of Corinth, going to some of their small groups, all losing their temper with each other? Like, man, this is kind of strange, right? They leave the small group and everybody's whispering and gossiping and backbiting and there's jealousy. Did you see their car? I wish I had their car, Right? Not an effective testimony in, in the world. Jesus said that by our love for one another, they, they would see that we're his disciples. So there's a lot at stake. For us to take a moment this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to expose sin in our lives and to mourn and repent over that sin and also the sin in the body of Christ as a whole. As we'll study in a few weeks with Nehemiah, he was broken over the sin of Israel and he included himself in it. He says, we have sinned against you. Daniel, the same way, was broken over the sin of the people of God. We have sinned against you. And that brokenness, God did 
a great work? Do we mourn over the condition of the church as a whole? It breaks my heart what's being taught in churches throughout the country. Many churches are departing from the word of God. They don't hold God's word as being authoritative. That we get to pick and choose what we believe about God's word. Many churches have completely thrown out Genesis 1 and 2. How far are you going to get in the Bible if you take out Genesis 1 and 2? Yeah, we don't believe Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, I don't know about God creating everything from nothing. Well, we believe in the God of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. So you're going to accept the resurrection, but you're not going to accept creation? Seems like a bad foot to start off on. Read a little bit farther in Genesis 1. God created Adam and Eve, male and female. I don't like that. That's not very culturally acceptable. We're going to reject that. Marriage is whatever you want it to be as long as you love each other. Well, God defined marriage. We didn't define marriage. God in his wisdom, when he wrote his word, so many years ago, knew we would contest male and female. If I was writing Genesis 1, I'd be going, it's obvious. They're different. There's male and female. Do we really have to write this down? God's like, write it down. I created a male and female, right? But we throw it out and we decide we get to choose. And churches get up and say, we define what God's message is. Well, that should break our hearts. That should cause us to to mourn. What if one of the things that happened in the difficult days that we're facing, if pastors repented before God and said, I'm going to hold to the word of God. I don't care if it's culturally acceptable or not. I don't care if it comes with consequences. I got to please God. I got to tell people what the word of of God says. One of the things that's here in the church of Corinth as well is fornication and uncleanness. Sexual sin that had entered inside of, of the church. And that breaks Paul's heart. He says it's got to be dealt with. Unfortunately, the church as a whole has sexual sin plaguing us. And God has something better for us. It's not his judgment, it's his love for us. He wants us to have abundant life. So church, this morning, he's calling you out of adultery. If you're in a place where you find yourself in adultery, God wants to call you out. And he can restore your marriage. But don't pretend, don't pretend that God doesn't know. He can read texts. He knows those inappropriate texts that are going back and forth. He knows those conversations that are, that are happening and your spouse doesn't know, but they will know. God loves you enough where he's going to expose that sin. Sex outside of marriage. For some, you're, you're living together and you're not married and you're going, well, we committed before God and so everything's fine and, you know, God wants you to get married. God wants you to Get an old-fashioned marriage license. He's into it. For your marriage to be recognized before God and before others, why would you not? Why would you not want to have God's blessing upon your relationship? But for some, even as believers, you have no intention of marrying that person. You just want the sex outside of marriage. You want to pretend that you're married. 
Don't fool yourself. You're, you're going to hear this and you're not going to move towards what God's word would say. God's calling out of pornography. Pornography is an issue for men and women. God doesn't want us to come in here and play church and then go get on our phones and indulge in pornography and be like, hey, it's great, great with the Lord. No, you know. The Spirit of God's convicting you. God wants to bring you out of that, and he can do that. The gospel that we'll talk about more in just a moment is Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin, but he also frees us from the power of sin. We can't do this in and of ourselves, but he's able to bring us out of sin. Repentance sounds like such a heavy word, doesn't it? Repentance, right? But it's the most freeing word. As believers, thankfully, we're not going to be comfortable inside of sin. The Holy Spirit's going to hound us. No, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that anger. I don't want to deal with that covetousness. I don't want to deal with that, that lust. No, you need to deal with that. You need to repent. You need to get right with me. But once we yield and we say yes to the Holy Spirit, there's refreshing that comes with repentance. There's nothing like having the weight of your sin lifted off of you, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you're not hiding. Isn't that the worst feeling? When am I going to be found out? When are people going to know? When is it going to be exposed? No, you, you've done that. Confess to the Lord, confess to others, and receive his forgiveness and receive his, his restoration. God's ready to restore. He's ready to rebuild as, as we repent. Repentance is part of the lifestyle of the church for us as believers. Keeping short accounts with God. Why, why let it build up? Be in this place of saying, man, I'm broken before you. God, I'm turning away from this. I'm receiving your forgiveness. To regularly go before the Lord and allow him to search our hearts. Allow him to reveal those things that need to be made right with him. Chapter 13, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 19. I've told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who've sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Paul's ready to bring it, bring that correction in love. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. They're wanting proof that God is actually speaking through Paul, and Paul says, Jesus came in servant leadership. You can call it weakness, it's not weakness, but in his servant leadership, he humbled himself to be crucified on the cross. But now he lives in the power of God. Paul says, I've approached you in servant leadership, but also the power of God rests upon me. Paul's letting him know, hey, I love you enough to confront this squarely. Verse five, examine yourselves as whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? A healthy church remains in the gospel. Remains in the gospel. Paul 
loves the church enough to say, I want you to stop and examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. The key here is examine yourself, not someone else. (laughs) Our tendency is we want to look at everybody else to try to determine whether they're in the faith or not. That's not our job. We're responsible before our own heart. When you stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask you to answer for anybody else's faith. You'll answer for your, your own faith. So how do you know whether you're in the faith or not? The key is the gospel. Knowing what the gospel is. Knowing what God teaches as the means for salvation. Romans 10.9 declares the gospel to us, the good news, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Also, 1 Corinthians 15 says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and rose again the third day according to the scripture. Our sin is what separates us from God. Our sin is willful rebellion, but it's also when we miss the mark. We're trying to do good, but we miss the standard. We don't measure up. So Jesus, in his love, he died on the cross for our sins. He took the penalty, the punishment for our sins, dying and and rising again. If it wasn't for the sacrifice of Christ, we'd be lost in our sins. We'd be eternally damned. But Jesus extends grace and forgiveness to those who will believe. That's what Romans 10, 9 describes, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, what does that mean? For him to be Lord is recognizing that he's my master. It's allowing him to have his proper place in our lives where we're submitting to him. So have you trusted the gospel? There's a question here in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. It says, do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? You should be able to say, I know that Christ lives inside of me. I know that I trust the gospel. Now, please understand, this is not something that's based on your emotions. If your salvation is based on your emotions, you're going to have days where you're saved. And you're going to have days where you're damned to hell. That's just the reality of it. Because there's sometimes where you feel all of the emotions of being God's child and you're like, man, my emotions are telling me that I am the child of God. But then there's other times, especially following sin, where we're like, man, God couldn't love me. I deserve to to go to hell. There's no way that I'm the child of God. But this is something that we should be able to know each and every day I know that I'm the child of God because I believe the gospel. I believe in what God said in his word, that Jesus is the answer for my sin. I believe he died for me and rose again, and I invite him to be the Lord of my life. In church, we don't ever move from that place. We don't ever move from the gospel. We don't ever move from the the grace of God. And as you examine this in your heart, maybe you go, you know, I've never trusted the gospel. I've never understood this, or I've always thought that I could save myself, and I didn't need a a Savior, or I know that I needed a Savior, but I haven't been willing to commit. Well, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to, to turn to Christ and to trust Him and believe Him and receive that free gift of salvation. Could there possibly have been those that 
were at the church of Corinth that had never trusted the gospel? Absolutely. Could it be that you've been here for some time and haven't trusted the gospel? Absolutely. Maybe it's your first time ever being in church. It's not being in church or not being in church. It's the condition of your heart of do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he died for you and rose again? Also, for us collectively as a church family and for churches in general, the body of Christ as a whole, we have to stay true to what our message is. And our message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. As a church family, if we lose sight of the gospel, we've lost sight of everything. And the gospel is transformative. It's the most important thing to proclaim. It's a difficult time in our country, in our society, in our world, but it's also an exciting time to be a believer. God is on the move. Last time I checked, Jesus is still the lion of the tribe of Judah. He hasn't resigned, he's not scared, and he's moving and working. Now is a a perfect time to be reaching out with the gospel, to be sharing the gospel with others. Church, it's, it's our message, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's intimidating, yes. How do we share the gospel? One of the best ways is sharing your testimony, God's story in your life. How did you come to know Christ as your savior? It's worth taking some time to write down your testimony and to practice sharing it with others. A three-minute version. Great to have the 30-minute version if God opens the door, but the three-minute version to briefly be able to share, this is what my life was like before I knew Christ. These were the events that caused me to come to know Christ as my Savior. I was feeling incredibly empty. I'd come to the end of myself. This is the person that God brought into my life that loved me and shared, shared the gospel with me. This is the moment in time where I trusted the gospel and how God has continued to work in my life since. Keep it brief, keep it simple. But how does somebody argue with your testimony? No, that didn't happen. No. People really do wanna hear your story and what's meaningful in your life. Don't undermine the power of John three sixteen. Don't undermine the power of Romans 10, 9. You know more than you think you know. And hearts are open to the gospel. And unbelievers are asking questions and looking for hope. Now is a a wonderful time to be inviting people to church. Invite them. Say, hey, come. God may do work in, in their life. Online, invite people to the online services. I had a guy email us from... Pennsylvania. He's listening to the services, worshiping with us since March. And he wrote down all the ways that God's using RMC in his life. How did he hear about it? A friend. A friend sent him the link to join our services, and God's using it in his life. Point is, it's a great time to be reaching out with the gospel. We don't ever want to move from the message. It's God's message. It's his testimony of sending his son. Verse six, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what's honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Paul's like, you can think whatever you want about me, but I want you to walk with the Lord. I want you to love virtue, do no evil, do what's honorable. 
For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. That's a great way to live our lives. Let the truth be the guide. Let the truth of God's word be the governor. For we are glad when we are weak, you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given to me for edification and not for destruction. Paul says, I'm doing this in writing, so hopefully it'll be cleared up before my visit. He understands the purpose of God-given authority or leadership is for edification, not for destruction. His final charge, finally, brethren, farewell, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Be complete or be mature. Continue growing. Be of good comfort. Be encouraged. Remember chapter one of 2 Corinthians, the God of all comfort who comforts you in all of your trial and tribulation? Receive that encouragement from the Lord. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Be unified together with believers inside of Christ. This is a time to be unified, live in peace as much as depends upon us, live in peace. And then the promise is, and the God of love and peace will be with you. God will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's go ahead and do that this morning. I don't think that would go well in the current environment, right? So interesting that Paul would see the value in greeting. This is the way people greet each other in the Middle East to this day is as a kiss on, on the cheek. What Paul's saying is when you spend time together, make sure that you take that opportunity to greet each other. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how this works in the COVID environment. Like, strange, right? Like, are we shaking hands? Are we not shaking hands? Are we doing the side hug? Are we doing social distancing? So just try to feel somebody out. And as you're feeling them out, okay, we're doing the social distancing thing. I'm going to greet you from here. From here, I'm six feet away, but I am excited to see you, right? Or, okay, we're shaking hands, so let's shake our hands. Let's, let's, let's greet each other. Oh, we're doing side hugs? Well, let, let's do side hugs. If you take it to the, the holy kiss, you've just gone too far. That's not our <laughs> culture, right? But haven't we seen since March of, of 2020 how important greetings are? It's a lot harder right now, but it's so much more important. In any way with our body language that we can communicate, hey, I'm excited to see you, and I'm so glad that you're here, and you value to God, and you value uh, to me. Verse 13, and the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. What a great place to be left to be left in the care of the grace of the Lord Jesus, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, that God would continue to give us grace. The love of God, the love of the Father, to be in the care of the love of the Father. Communion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is walking with us, that we get to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So let's be in prayer for one another, for RMC that we could be healthy, that we would be a healthy body of believers with closeness with the Lord and effective witness, effective testimony in the community? Is it time to respond to love? 
you kind of look at your track record as a believer and go, you know, I've only seen the fault with other believers. There's even been some Pauls in my life that weren't perfect, but I think they really did genuinely care for me, but I wrote them off. Well, it's time to grow up a little bit and start being able to respond to love and not just moving from place to place to place to place with a conclusion that the church is terrible. Yeah, the church has fallen, but it's the body of Christ and God's gonna use the body of Christ in my life. Maybe in this discussion of love, you've checked out on loving others. You're like, been there, done that. Man, I loved others and they didn't love me in, in return, so I'm just gonna play it safe. God wants to awaken us with the love of God, to press into his unconditional love and start to extend that unconditional love to others without strings attached. How many times do we love others, but we're really expecting something in return? To respond to love, to, to give love, to repent of sin. What is it in our lives this morning that the Holy Spirit is identifying? Say, okay, I'm gonna agree with God. I wanna be right with the Lord. I wanna be in that place of, of refreshment. And God will be faithful to forgive and he'll be faithful to restore. Then let's remain in the gospel. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, as we sing this last song, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come and I'd invite you to come to the sides here where it's a little quieter, the front of the stage. We're not gonna sign you up for a church or ask you for anything. This is about you receiving Christ as your savior. You know you know whether you've trusted Christ. And today's the day of salvation. This is the most important decision that you'll ever make. It determines whether you go to heaven or hell. And God wants to bring you into his family. And the love that you're looking for, it's found in Christ. He loves you. He, he died for you. Online, at home, if you'd like to trust Christ, go to the chats, go to the comments, let us know. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. But know that you know that you've trusted Christ for salvation. And church, let's take the gospel out. Let's take the gospel out. We've got good news to be able to share. And yes, it's difficult times. It's dark times. But historically, God does his greatest work in dark times. The light shines all the brighter in dark times. A smile goes farther than it's ever gone before. A caring word goes farther than it's ever gone before. A phone call means more than it has in the past. Those are bridges to get into someone's life to let them know Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. So Father, we cry out to you this morning and we're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you have made us your body, your church the pillar and the, the ground of truth. Help us to be able to respond to love, to receive love and to, to give love. Also where there needs to be repentance of sin. Right now, would you search us? Would, would you know us? Would you speak to us in those areas of sin?
Agree with God with what he's revealing to you. Don't wrestle, don't fight, but surrender to him and confess that sin to him. Receive his grace and his forgiveness. The power of the Holy Spirit to transform and change us. Father, also we ask that you would do a fresh work in our hearts and our lives with the area of the gospel. Would you make us bold with the gospel? Would you give us opportunities to share your love with others? So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.